Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, everyone. All right. So, um, in case you're worshiping with us for the very first time, welcome to City Church. All right. Uh, my name is Tommy Olariwaju. I'm one of the baby preachers here in City Church. All right. Um, one thing the Word of God reveals to us is this: that if the Lord does not build a city, those that build it build in vain. If the Lord does not watch over a city, those that watch over it watch in vain. So, it is very possible for me to preach and scream at you, and I will. All right all i want and yet yet it will not be a blessing to you the lord if the lord doesn't breathe his life upon it and also if the lord doesn't help you doesn't help your heart to receive what is being preached here today so i want us to i want us to pray together father we thank you thank you for your word lord we just ask oh god that even as i declare your word to your people we ask oh god that your spirit your, your word will go forth in the Holy Ghost. Your word will go forth in conviction. Your word will go forth in power in the name of Jesus. That you help our hearts, O God, to receive from you. That the words will land upon the fertile grounds of our hearts and will reap fruits of righteousness, holiness, peace, joy in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for we know you are going to answer us because we've cried upon you, called upon your name. In Jesus' name, we've prayed. Amen. All right. So this is the second to the last sermon in the Galatian series, right? And we have learned a lot of things. We have learned how the Judaizers tried to, um, tried to manipulate the Galatian church, how they tried to deceive them by adding, trying to add more laws to the, more laws to the things that they've, that they've already received. We've, we've learned, and we've learned about what Paul's reaction to this was. Paul, at a point, was agitated. In fact, he began to curse some of them. He was angry, called some people stupid. At a point, eventually got to a point where he said, he wished some people would just emasculate themselves right and then from we begin to once, once you begin to notice if you've been paying attention from chapter one to chapter four we kept on coming back to this theme right this theme of there is nothing you have to do for you to be saved right that you have been fully accepted you have been fully loved before god but by the time we got to chapter five it changed a little bit started looking at it by that saying oh yeah do this go ahead and do this go ahead and do that go ahead and do this right what is happening here is this ideas have consequences, what you believe have, have implications for the way you choose to live your life. So Paul, in chapter 5, begins to talk about the fact that we have all been set free, but do not use your freedom as an occasion for the flesh. You have all been set free, so do not revert back to the slavery. Walk in the spirit and do not walk in the flesh. But Paul doesn't end there. He goes further. He wants to drive his point home further. And so he decides to do this by using, by using this sacred subject called what? Money right for reasons we're all aware of money is a very very crazy thing right jesus is said to have spoken about money more than any other person in the bible and there's a popular quote that there's a popular thing that jesus said you cannot serve god and what mammon, mammon right and then for those who don't know what mammon is mammon means money right he didn't say you cannot serve god and sex you cannot serve god and work you cannot serve god and your spouse he said you cannot serve god and money why because money is a big deal money has one words and money has caused wars to be lost. 
It has split marriages and it has birthed marriages. And if singles in Lagos has any indication, it's not just women that marry for money. Men marry for money too, isn't it? Everybody wants to be taken care of, right? Paul knows this and he wants to drive home the point by, by making this point on money as well. What does walking in the spirit mean? We've been learning about this. What does sowing in the spirit mean? We read about it today. Paul says, let me tell you, and this is what is going to lead to the title of my sermon, give. I mean, I know it sounds so uncreative, but that's all I have. All right. <laughs> give, right? I'll be discussing this under three headings. Giving to the church, giving to the poor, and thirdly, the motivation for sustained giving. One, giving to the church. Two, giving to the poor. And three, the motivation for sustained giving. First, the giving to the church. Verse 6 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. For whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. At this point, I'm probably going, okay, I mean, I get I'm supposed to give, but which one is all this sowing and reaping eternal destruction or eternal life and all these things going on here, right? Paul is tying giving to the church or preachers or those that are working in the church to reaping destruction or eternal life. And the commentaries that I actually read, all of them agreed on this. They said, see, eternal life, this reaping of eternal life and reaping of destruction here is not some normal thing that is happening in this world. It's referring to what is going to happen on Judgment Day. So it's really referring to heaven and hell. So Paul is basically saying that for us to make heaven, we need to give to the church regularly. It is right there. And your response should be, I mean, I'm not killing anybody. I'm not lying. I'm not evading my taxes. Simply because I'm not giving to the church. I think I'm going to go to hell. The punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime, isn't it? But many times when we feel the punishment doesn't fit the crime, what we need most of the time is a redefinition or rather a definition and understanding of what the crime actually is. Then we can begin to understand that, oh, it seems like the punishment fits the crime. Or maybe we even need more punishment for the crime that we're actually, that we're actually fighting against in the first place. So what needs to happen is for us to understand what exactly about giving to the church is making Paul feel like the response would be eternal damnation or eternal life. Why exactly didn't Paul say, oh, give to your teacher, oh, give to the church, so that the church can move forward? I mean, that is true, but that isn't what Paul said. Why isn't Paul saying, let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches? For if you don't share, the one who teaches, the church, will not be able to engage in justice initiative. That's, I mean, that is true, but again, that's not what he said. Why is he not saying, oh, share all good things with the one who teaches, so that the one that teaches will be able to give to the poor during COVID-19 pandemic? That is true, but why is he tying all this to whether we make heaven or hell? What is making Paul react this way? It's simple, really. We spend money on what we love. The Bible says where your art is, that is where your treasure will be also. I can determine what you love and the order in which you love them by checking your budget at the beginning of the month and your expense at the end of the month. I know I, know, I, know I said budget and expense. Why? Because your budget, most of the time, we actually plan well. But by the time you begin to spend... As the month goes on, it really reveals a lot of things, right? What you spend your money on reveals what you value. It reveals what you love. So listen, if we check your budget and your expense, will your expense back up the fact that you love the Lord or will it show us how much you love yourself? Again, go back to the text. It says, he that sows into his own flesh will reap corruption and he that sows into his spirit will reap eternal life. So in short, 
There's a scenario, someone comes to me, Paul, and he says, Paul, I mean, I've been feeling Galatians. In fact, when Emmanuel spoke about physics and all this, it just really made a lot of sense. When pastor was teaching, I just, I mean, I'm really excited. But I don't seem to understand what this sowing into the spirit really means. Can you break it down to me? Show me the word behind the word. You understand what I'm talking about? Right? I mean, explain it to me. And Paul is going to say, oh, it's really simple. Get to the church. I mean, it, it seems that flat. But again, look closely. There is nothing like not sowing to the spirit. You're either sowing to the spirit or sowing to the flesh. There is no neutral ground. You're either actively sowing to the spirit or actively sowing to the flesh. You cannot throw your seeds upon the fields of the spirit nonchalantly and expect, the, and expect to reap the fruit that it should yield. In fact, to do this, to do this is intentionally sowing to the flesh. And it's the same with relationships. It's the same with academics. It's the same with our works. It's like this funny, funny picture I saw on, uh, during the week on Toki Status. So this employer, right, maybe some of you saw it too. All right, great. This employer comes to me, the employee, and says, you are fired. And then this employee pauses the Netflix he's watching and says, why? <laughs> I mean, exactly, right? What do you mean why? You cannot passively give to your work and expect a bountiful harvest. Why then do we think that we can passively give to the church and expect to reap the full benefits that God has already placed in the church for us? Don't let us deceive ourselves. You cannot follow the example of Jesus and say you are giving yourself to something and you are not giving your money to it. I mean, some of you would then say, but I pray for the church. I mean, I can see the need. But I really, I am spiritual. I pray for the church, right? James has a response to this. James chapter 2, verse 14, 17. Message version. He says, For instance, you call upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved. Message version. The person needs. And you say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk, praying, Without God acts, giving is outrageous nonsense. Bro, everybody's blood is out here. Why? Because money is important. James was, he said, ah, this is nonsense. <laughs> Prayer is good. Prayer is very good. But can we be real? I mean, I know this is church. We like to act as if we're all cool and stuff. But let's be honest. How many times have you told somebody, when they, give, when they probably pre- um, prepare, present a need before you, and they say, please, I mean, I really need to say, how many times you said, oh, I'll be praying for you, and you actually prayed for them? I mean, you actually did once or twice, but you really don't do anything about it. And this is the issue. If there is no giving to the church, then there is no love for the church. There is a high chance that there is no faith in God or in the God of the church to begin with. This is what your lack of giving is revealing. How can you claim to love the God you can't see, and you cannot love his bride that you can see? Again, as some of you probably say, oh, must I give to show that I love? Yes. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that he did what? That he gave his only begotten son. What is at stake here is this. If you cannot give, it is revealing that you have not put your faith in Christ Jesus. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about those of you that absolutely have nothing to give. You know, maybe you don't have money. But let's be honest, those are rare. Those are rare occurrences. Most of us have something to give. In fact, let's get a little bit practical here. There are two major people that Pastor Femi spoke about um, last week. Talking about the envious and the conceited, the ones of vain glory, right? And he talked about how one, the one who fully obeys certain laws and does those things fully, right, will be able to, he becomes proud, he becomes arrogant, he becomes conceited, he becomes full of vain glory. They are full of themselves. They are the ones to whom it is not enough to be godly. They have to be godlier than others. 
It's not enough for them to be smart. They have to be smarter than others, constantly comparing themselves with other people. But then there is the other camp, you and me. Those of us that find it difficult to obey all the laws and rules, right? And then that people have laid out for us. We tend to have, I mean, these people tend to have a low self-esteem. They are the ones Paul called the envious. They tend to look up to others. They tend to look up at others. These people are better. They tend to look up at the church, right, and look down upon themselves. Whereas the ones who are full of vainglory tend to look down at the church and others and look up to themselves. And this will lead to the same thing. This right here is what Paul calls not keeping in step with the Spirit. This is what it means to sow into your flesh. How? So let's say the conceited. It becomes, it beca- because he looks down on the church, even if he gives, he can only do so grudgingly. And, even if, and, and because he feels as if he's doing the church a favor. right? And Paul attacks this in the text, verse 6. He says, he that is taught should share. The word for share there is actually the idea of common good, saying whatever you have received, you have received for the church as well. But because you view yourself above the church, the church is never able to speak into your life. Your own life is more perfect and your life is more good. So you are up there, you have become isolated. But one thing you need to understand is this. Another thing we all know, one thing we all know is this, that when the devil wants to get you, the first thing he does is to isolate you. And then the other person, also going, I mean, I have nothing to give. I mean, I, 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 don't, I, don't even, I don't have anything to give. No one needs me. I have nothing to offer. So you also don't give anything because you feel you have nothing to offer. And therefore, you also isolate yourself. Again, you are putting yourself in positions for the devil to get you. But even though we have established in the text, I mean, right here, that this, this text is talking about money. And some of you begin to say, I mean, I'm not making enough. Let me start making enough first. Then I'll probably begin to give. Right, but then the truth is this God has actually given us certain things that even if it's not money, you have time, you have energy, you have availability. And what I'm saying here to you today is this sign up to City Kids, Auntie Funke still needs you. <laughs> we have been announcing for weeks and weeks we need servers, we need servers. Contact Pelumi and sign up. You have something to offer. You don't think, don't if you don't, I mean, in case you might be here and say, Oh, I don't have any talent, sign up first. You are not useless if your workplace can find something inside of you that they can pay you for. If you come to church, we will find a place for you to be useful as well. Give your time. Give your energy. Give your availability. Give your house. Give because guess what? The church will never be able to give up what God has given inside, give to, given to the church for you if you do not first give unto it. Where have you seen where people are reaping where they've not sown? And we begin to say stuff like, the church just seems plain to me, just seems so normal. Maybe because it's, maybe the church is normal because you're actually constantly giving plain things to the church. Oh, maybe oh, the church is just of not, it doesn't bear much importance to me, it's of little or no importance. Maybe it's of little or no importance because you yourself are giving things that are of little or no importance to the church. Right? So, so you're not giving the church the time that you have planned, you're giving the church the time that you have left over. You're not giving the church the money that you have planned. You're giving church the money that you have left over. You have given less of your time to the church, less of your service to the church. You are giving less of your money, and therefore, whatever happens to the church doesn't concern you. You simply move to another church, right? And then you begin to have this idea. I don't know why people believe this idea. They say, oh, I just want to give. I don't want anybody to really know me. You know, just, I'm just going to give constantly, and they don't really have to know me. This is a way. Okay? It's just a, we just read it. This is a way for you to give of your resources without giving of yourself. You will only be able to give enough that doesn't make you feel like you're giving a part of yourself. This isn't biblical giving. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. Well, we can start from verse 1. Paul says concerning the Macedonian church that the grace of God 
was available to them, and they were able to give out of their extreme poverty and, and welled up in generos, gen, gen, generosity, right? But verse 5 then says, they gave first of themselves to the Lord, and then they gave to the people. You cannot say you are giving of yourself and not giving such a way that it will not touch you. For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? His only begotten son. That was all he had. And he was able to give. Why? Because he wanted to give of himself. But there is a giving you can give. That will not be a giving of yourself. The giving of yourself to God is a giving that frees you up to be able to give even in extreme poverty. Give of yourself. Do not live in isolation. When the chips are down, who do you think is going to encourage you? When you need strength, who is going to strengthen you? So then you've isolated yourself because you feel, oh, I am above the church. Or you've isolated yourself because you think, I have nothing to offer, I have nothing to give. When you are caught up in a particular sin, who will restore you in the spirit of gentleness? Don't you see that before the destruction comes from, from, for you on judgment day, destruction is already knocking at your door even now. Paul is warning against this and he's saying if you behave this way, you will reap destruction because you are sowing to your flesh and you are not sowing to the spirit. I'll move to my second point, giving to the poor. All this giving of ourselves doesn't end in just the church. Verse 9 to 10 goes for that to then say, let us do good to all people. You know the ancient classic question of should I do good to the church or should I do good to the poor? Should I give to the church or should I give to the poor? Paul said it's not either or. It is both and. Paul is concerned with those outside of the church as well. Do good to all people. Note that this strong warning of reaping damnation, reaping destruction, and reaping eternal life is sandwiched between verse 6 and verse 9 to 10. Verse 6 says give to the church. Verse 9 to 10 says give to the people. This warning also affects this as well. Let's take it a step further. Paul is not just concerned with us doing good to those who deserve it. He's concerned with us doing good to those that don't deserve it as well. Paul is not just concerned with, doing, with us doing good to those that are useful to us. He's concerned with us doing good to those that are not useful to us. See back in the text, verse 6. Share all good things with your instructor. There is a sense in which you should give to the church because the church gives to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 says, if we have sown spiritual things to you, and I'm quoting KJV, just bear with me. If we have sown spiritual things to you, is it too much for us to reap carnal things from you? I'm doing carnal because it sounds spiritual, right? Is, is it too much for us to reap carnal things from you? Or 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who direct well are worthy of double honor. The word double honor there refers to money. But again, they are worthy of double honor. There are people in church that have given their lives and have given unto us. They deserve they are worthy of double honor. They are the ones that deserve it. They are the ones that are useful to us. But Paul is saying, this is not enough. Do go to those who seem undeserving as well. When you deal with the poor, one thing you begin to understand is this. That the poor exist because sin exists. The poor exist because of the sins of other people. Maybe a failed system. But that's just half the truth. The poor also exist because of their own stupid and bad decisions. They might be lazy. They have seen, they have seen, they have seen the sins of laziness. And so, have you ever asked yourself, why when we are talking about doing good to those outside of the church, we talk about justice and mercy. Right? Justice because they are victims of a failed system and they didn't do much to get themselves to that position. Other people got them there. But mercy also because they themselves have done certain things to keep themselves in those positions. And what you think the problem is will affect what, what your reaction is going to be. Tell me what you are going to be. So if you feel as if the, feel as if the result of the poor person is as a result of a failed system, you begin to give more and more. But you want to have mercy upon them. You just want to keep on giving and giving. But if you think people 
are simply lazy and products of their own bad decisions, you tend to be stingy. Or better still, you give less. So one person begins to give even when he doesn't have, and so he begins to give in a very, very unwise manner. But the other person doesn't even give at all. Even when he gives, he gives grudgingly. Both of them are wrong. Both of them are ways to sow into the flesh. Both will reap destruction. Let me explain for that. So one thing you begin to understand about these two camps is this. Both of them have tried to exalt themselves. Both of them are maybe they're in the process of doing so. Why? The one who has mercy says, oh, if I don't give enough, if I don't give enough, this person cannot escape this poverty. In fact, his success is dependent on my giving. Can you see what you've done? You have then become a savior to that person, right? The other person then says, oh, I pulled myself by my own bootstraps. I think you should do the same too, right? Again, he himself has also become a savior and is calling the poor person to be a savior unto himself. Both of them have decided to take the place of God in their life or in the life of another person. And when you do this, all you can reap will be destruction. Why? God brings down the proud. And then he gives more grace to the humble. What then is the solution to this? How can we give? Not in an unwise manner or in an unmerciful manner, a grudging manner, but in a godly way. How can we give in this way? I have three Ps. The last P has nothing much to do with anything, but it just it has to be three Ps. So pray. <laughs> I just plugged it there. Pray, plan, progress. Pray, plan, progress. Firstly, pray. Commit your ways. Commit your work. Commit your money making into the hands of God. I know it's simple, but let me explain. If you do not see God as the source of your income, you cannot think he has the right over how you should actually spend that money. See, let's, let's be frank. Some people are here, actually. Many of us, maybe some of us, we know them. They have good shot. They just have a good shot at making it. They are smart. They are diligent. They are beautiful people. They have connections. People like them. Right? And every, and maybe some of you are like that. You are here today. Everything that you have planned for has actually worked out. And then you're a Christian. Trust me, it will become very, very difficult for you to feel as if God is the one that gave you that money. Why? You actually worked out. All right? Some of you are actually going, yeah, I think I, think, I, think I worked out. Right? But then, but I want to call us to consider one particular thing. How many of us, or maybe all of us, have gotten to points in our lives where we actually got certain things that we didn't even pray for in the first place? How many times have your plans actually worked better than you anticipated? Do you know how many people have done the exact same thing that you have done and still didn't get the results you got? Maybe because they, they, they did whatever they did at the time when there was the wrong policy or something like that. God is the one who is the author and God is the one who is the source of everything that we have. Prayer helps you to recognize that. Prayer is a way for you to help your mind see this. Prayer is a way for you to train your heart that you are not in control. Somebody else is in charge. And you might not be a Christian here. I want you to listen carefully. You might be saying, oh, well, the reason I've not committed to Jesus is because, you know, there's so much suffering and pain. I mean, so much suffering and pain. I'm still hosting. God has still not blessed me. And you're correct. I mean, there's so much suffering and pain. True. But has it occurred to you how easy it is for the world to make you see the bad news and focus, and focus less on the good. I mean, think about these airplanes. About 100,000 airplanes take off and land every day. You never hear about them. But the one that crashes, 
That's the one the news is going to carry. The world is rigged to give us bad news. But this is it. We do not judge the disposition or essence of a person by an event. You judge it with patterns. There is overwhelming evidence for God's goodness as opposed to his indifference and his wickedness or his non-existence. People sometimes ask, if God is, exists and if God is good, why is there so much suffering and evil in the world? But in the very same breath, we can ask that if God doesn't exist and God doesn't good, and God isn't good, why is there so much good and beauty in the world? Is it just by mistake? Did it just happen? No. He has been good. You cannot judge the disposition of your wife towards you because you had an argument here and there. What makes you think you can judge the disposition of a creator towards his creation simply because certain things have not worked according to your own plan? And in case you are here, you're having these issues, talk to somebody. Maybe you're in GC. Talk to your GC leader. Or call us in City Church. We are willing to help. We are willing to actually open the word, share the word of God with you. And you can see that God is good. God is source. God is sustainer of all things. And therefore, he has the right to determine how we should spend our money. Let me second point. Plan. Truth is this. What you do not plan for, you will not do. Right? Let's be honest. The older you get, the more you realize that you need to plan. Why? Because you cannot do all things. Therefore, you need to prioritize. Right, and I'm going to. I'm, the point I'm making is usually I'm doing this with a lot of help from Pastor Femi Simon, Gospel Generosity. So, if you want a more comprehensive view of what I'm about to say, listen to the sermon. Pastor Femi, you can thank me later. All right, <laughs> again, and then the sermon, Pastor Femi was talking about giving in the Old Testament and giving in the New Testament. Now, giving in the Old Testament is characterized by two things it is specific, that is, the titan, what the percentage you should give, what you should give the tax, it is specific, but it is also required, it is compulsory. But giving in the New Testament. It's not specific. They didn't specify how much you give. But the only thing that is compulsory for you to give. I mean, like, like Paul is actually saying here. So, but there's a sense in which the New Testament calls us to radical giving. And a lot is required from us. But we should plan based on priorities. Your budget should reflect what you prioritize. And then you might be saying, is this guy about to tell me how to prioritize and spend my money? No. Pastor Femi is. All right? <laughs> so, if you have any issues, what I'm about to say, whatever I'm about to say, ask him in Q&A. Okay. So number one, the first thing we should prioritize, family. And if you are here and you are single, this simply refers, this simply refers to your basic needs. Folk, I mean, give to your basic needs. The Bible does say in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that the aim for a call to radical giving is not for you to be burdened while other people are eased. God has not called you to give out of what you don't have. God has called you to give out of what you have. Two, your local church. The Bible does say that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things shall be added unto us. Three, the poor in your local church. Verse 10. Verse 10 actually says, do good unto everyone, especially those who have the household of faith. Number four, other church communities. And number five, the wider humanity. Give to the poor. Give to people that you meet on the road. Give to people that randomly walk up to you and need your help. Your budget and your, your, budget and your expenses is meant to reflect these priorities. Plan to give and plan to give regularly. Thirdly, progress. Like I've entered that at different times in the sermon, there is this tension. We, will, we will constantly ask ourselves, should we give to the church or should we give to the poor? Right? And many times, we all decide to give to the poor. Why? Because the poor looks as if they need our money. Right? And the church doesn't look as if they need our money. First, let me counter that very big line. The church, listen carefully, if you don't live with anything, okay, Jesus is Lord, so live with that. Alright? But if you don't live with any other thing, know this. The church needs your money and we need it bad. See the way I said that bad. I'm, 
right? We need your money. Secondly, one way to actually solve this tension and solve this problem is really simple. And I hope you get this. Catch is very deep. Make more money. All right? <laughs> so that you can give to both the church and you can give to the poor as well. Because poor will not allow you to do one without doing the other, right? We have been talking about how important money is. But really think about it. Money is important for the advancement of the kingdom of God upon this land. The moment you became a Christian, you became part of an advancing kingdom. The resources that have been deployed to you should be used to further that kingdom. We are all on a mission. All of us have been called to ministry. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that it has given some apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You are the saints that have been equipped for the work of ministry. There is no such thing as a believer that has not been called to ministry. The city church, the city church vision, which says this, is to catalyze the gospel center movement that renews the city of Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. This should not just be a corporate vision. We just come to church and say, we want to catalyze the gospel center movement. When you go to your work, individually, this should be your own vision as well. I want to be part of a movement that catalyzes a gospel-centered gospel center, okay, movement, all right, that renews the city of Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. And then you should be asking yourself, how can I play a role in this movement? In this movement? One way is for you to work harder. It's for you to see that God has called you to ministry in the workplace. God has called you to go to your workplace, get materials, bring them to the church, so the church can actually be more effective in reaching out to the world. The church has a platform that most of us don't have. But you also have a platform that the church doesn't have. You are going to go ahead and make more money. Church cannot go and be making more money for you. Right? Church cannot go ahead and making more money. Right? So the chairs that you are sitting upon, the cameras that we have, the beautiful videos you see, and say, oh, city church is just so bougie, you are just so cool. All of those things, the money that is paying for them is not anointing. You understand? We need you. God has called you to give. And this is how, listen, this is how renewal is going to happen. It's by everybody asking, saying, I can see the kingdom of God here. Here is what I have. Take, let me go and get more. This is how renewal is going to happen. We are going to write professional exams. We are going to get certificates. We are going to re-strategize. We are going to circle our budget and reprioritize things. We are going to look at our businesses and restructure them such that we can actually make more money to give to the church. Because we have been called to see this land renewed by the power of God. So I've not come to guilt trip you, no. I've come to give you a bigger vision. I've come to give you a more expansive vision. Your local church is passionate about advancing God's kingdom. It's passionate about revival upon this land. You should be asking, how can I be a part of this? I'm not saying building your own empire is bad. I'm saying there is another empire. There is another kingdom. There is another mission that translates even to the new heavens and the new earth. This is what you are being a part of. This is why you will work diligently. This is why you will dream bigger. This is why you will be ambitious. This is what drives you. Because you know this is my mission. The poor needs this. My society needs this. My church needs this. Imagine, and I just invite you to imagine and dream along with me. Imagine what will it look like if city hunger meets with gospel generosity. Imagine what will it look like if unemployment in the city meets with the 25-year-old, the 40-year-old that is creating jobs and creating better job opportunities for people to come and actually make more money. The city will feel it. The city will be renewed. Imagine what will happen if Christian top lawyers are fighting for the oppressed of those that have been unjustly incarcerated. It is nothing short of the glory of the Lord covering the land of Lagos as the waters covers the sea. Right? What happens if gospel generosity meets with city churches' needs? I can tell you what happens. I can tell you what this means. It means that we have people, more people will have access to the gospel that is being preached here. It means we are better equipped to help our members with our strengths, with job opportunities, to even top up, to get to, to get a particular 
projects, with food, with clothing, with funding for businesses. It means we can move to our new location and get more people to come to the church. And in case you are saying, Tommy, this thing looks very big. I mean, it just seems so big. Have you forgotten? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you have sufficiency in all things, will abound unto all good works. God is able to carry the five loaves of bread and two fishes that we have and breathe his life upon it that we can feed 5,000 with them. God can enlarge our coast. God can bless the work of our hands. This is the God you serve. This is what we've all been called to. We have been called to give to the church and to give to the poor. Why? Because God himself is backing us up. Finally, the motivation for sustained giving. Paul says in verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You see, it was my desire to instruct you here today to inspire you not just to give, but to be part of City Church's vision. But many things are probably beginning to pop up in your mind. Is this thing sustainable? Right? I mean, I, I, I'm giving of myself. and giving my money constantly. I might get exhausted. I might get weary. Paul anticipates this question. And says this, your motivation is a reward. An harvest is coming at the proper time. Let me explain this analogy. If there are two people, you give one person 200,000 naira, and you give the next person 2 million naira to do the very same task. They will do the task, but they'll do it differently. Why? Because one person has a brighter future that is informing his present. Now, the other person has a less bright future. Our future affects our present. There is a reward in your future. There is a reward in my future. What then is the proof that this is going to happen? How can we be sure that we will receive this reward? Well, the answer is one. The answer is one person. His name is Jesus. This has happened before. How can you trust that if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap an harvest of eternal life? It is because somebody else has gone ahead of you. And when he sowed into his own spirit, he reaped eternal life. Jesus, when he was on earth, was, could have been weary from doing good. Jesus, when he was on earth, gave his life for his bride. Jesus, when he was on earth, was going to give his life for a bunch of people, you and me, who were bound by a failed system of sin and the devil, but at the same time were architects of their own demise. People who were helpless and undeserving. How was he able to endure? How was he able to not give up? The writer of Hebrews says, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, even your own Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the, of the Father. This is your evidence. This is where your faith should lie, in his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the coronation of eternal life that Jesus himself received. This is your destiny. Heaven is your reward. I'm not talking about an eternal musical concert. You know when we come to, when we meet our parents, we say, how does heaven look like? Mommy will say, we don't be singing praises to Jesus. And I remember, I look like, nah, that doesn't sound right. But it sounds boring. No, I'm not talking about that kind of heaven. I'm talking about a feast for special guests. Let me ask you a question. What is the deepest and most pleasurable relationship we could ever have on the surface of the earth? Don't be spiritual. Just I'm talking just normally, right? What's the deepest? Marriage. Marriage. Romance. Right? But Jesus says that marriage will not be in heaven. I don't know a lot of restaurants in Lagos. I mean, I've not been, I've not been able to get beyond the TFC and Chicken Republic, right? I will one day though. Pastor Femi, please. <laughs> All right. One day, but then, so I asked a friend of mine, I said, give me like one very, very bougie restaurant in Lagos. I just want to know what they serve there. And then she gave me um, 
Pussy the shit. So she gave me slow, slow Lagos, right? The remainder of it are going, what's slow? Don't worry, you've not been there. I've not been there before, anyway, but slow Lagos. And so I Googled, I mean, I Googled them, I went to their website, and I checked their menus. Right, I checked the things that they serve. Is it, is it projected? Okay. All right. So, yeah, slow chicken. Uh-huh. Cured old chicken. Slow wood oven. <laughs> Served on wedges. Potato bread. Please call that thing for me. Thank you. Caramelized onions dressed in chicken. It's food though. This is juice. This is food. Right, Omero? That's what Omero is. God. We all learned it together today. I didn't know before. Anyways, right, you see this. And then I checked all the other menus. Really just things that are meant to twist your tongue like this. If I are reading, I'm already hungry, right? But one thing, one thing we did not find on that menu. Guess what? It's Ijebugari. Why? Because Ijebugari does not rise to the level of sophistication and pleasure that slow chicken is meant to give. Listen, listen, listen carefully. When we get to heaven, there is a menu, right? And marriage, sex is not on that menu. The most deepest and most pleasurable relationship, most, ple- most deepest and most pleasurable thing you could ever do on this earth is not even on the menu in heaven. Right? Why? Because it doesn't rise to the level of sophistication and pleasure and satisfaction that heaven is reserved for you. And this is what Paul wants you to see. This is the heaven that has been reserved for you. This is why we give. Because there is a reward. This is why we give. Because heaven awaits those who have given of themselves first to the Lord and first and second to the people of God. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.